And welcome to Tech Connect. Tell your story, present your idea, champion Filipino technology ingenuity, promote a smarter and sustainable Philippines. Find partners, investors, and like-minded individuals who will help you and your startup flourish and bring your innovation to life. TechConnect is an online tech show and podcast organized by our good friends, Multisys Technologies Corporation, in collaboration with our good friends, Podcast Network Asia, Ideaspace, and Cubo Philippines. Now, what is TechConnect all about and what does Multisys have to do with the whole program? Well, the initiative of Multisys is to connect the whole tech community to champion Filipino technologies and innovators and create an avenue for them to reach their goals. And these goals include promoting products and services, reaching a larger base of clients, connecting with incubators and investors, inspiring others, especially more Pinoy startups, and of course, showcasing proudly Philippine technology. And today, I'm very, very happy as we will have a chance to connect our current startup that we will be featuring here on the show with a, a very prominent investor, which is Villagrove Philippines, represented by Priya Thachadi, who is their CEO and co-founder. Priya, thanks so much for joining us here on Tech Connect. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. And I think uh, what a fantastic initiative, right? And making all of these connections. So very, very excited to be here. Thanks so much for being part of the ecosystem that we're trying to develop here in Multisys and TechConnect. And for the sake of the people who are encountering Vilpro for the first time, can you give them a better understanding of what you do, especially for first-time entrepreneurs who are encountering uh, the name of your business or the name of your uh, investment house? Yeah, absolutely. So Vilpro is an early-stage impact incubator and investor. So we fund, mentor, and nurture entrepreneurs who are solving the big issues, right? Whether it's social issues or environmental challenges. And we believe that, you know, this is the time to solve this through entrepreneurial ventures. And so we bank entrepreneurs really at the very early stages of their journey by providing seed funding and then working very hands-on in really validating and developing a business model that can scale up. And that can create revenue and profits, but also have deep impact in our communities. Fantastic. And I just want to be clear because many people, you know, for them, they, they might not yet see the differences between the different investors. And I like the word impact. So when you say impact, does it have something to do with, say, for example, the UNDP sustainability goals? Does it have to do with uh, things related to climate change? How would you exactly explain, let's say, impact investment to people who are just coming into the startup industry? So impact investing itself is like a new term and it's a new space. So I think many may not be familiar with it. But what really this group or this kind of industry is focused on is investing in entrepreneurial models. So these are for-profit businesses as well. But they at the core, they're solving, you know, problems in education, in healthcare, in agriculture, uh, gender equality, and of course, mm-hmm. climate change, right? So we are, you know, impact incubators or impact investors really focused on looking at the startup ecosystem, looking at mm-hmm. all the amazing ideas that are out there, but focusing on the subset of entrepreneurs who have the impact on social and environmental issues at the, you know, kind of along with their business 
right? So there's, I know that all businesses today will be, you know, should be responsible and focused on, you know, how they impact the climate. But we really want to put our money into those who prioritize that and really have that as a core part of their mission. Great. And finally, I realized that Vilgrow, I was actually an impact investor out of India. And like we said, we talked about offline. You moved here to the Philippines, or you rather, you expanded here to the Philippines five years ago. Can I ask what, you know, I mean, of course, being Filipino, we're very happy that you're here, right? <laughs> but what potential did you see coming to the Philippines five years ago? Why did you plan to expand the Philippines? What are you seeing that maybe not many of us who already live here are seeing about the potential of Philippine startups? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, so many times people have asked me this, like, why did you come here to the Philippines? You could have gone to Indonesia, right, where you're seeing all of these unicorns coming out of. So for me, I started traveling here to the Philippines, thanks, you know, to my husband who was already based here. And five years ago, it is not the same ecosystem as we see today. Uh, it was, you know, still yes, smaller, yes. younger, and even earlier. But what I saw were two things. Number one, the growing pool of entrepreneurs and young people who wanted to become entrepreneurs and really contributed nation building. So they really wanted to solve, you know, the urgent, urgent problems that they were seeing in front of them, whether it's eradicating poverty, whether it's eradicating plastic waste. And that kind of gave me a sense that, you know, over the next five to 10 years, this is a market which is going to produce very, very impactful businesses. And two, I think the tech ecosystem is also just starting to evolve. And there was really no way to go except really go up. Right. And I think what we've seen over the last two years, the explosion of the ecosystem is really just, you know, the very first step, I believe. So I think a little bit of, you know, uh, looking into the future and really predicting that this is a market that was hugely underserved as well, that not enough capital was here to support entrepreneurs, not enough incubators. Right. Five years ago, the scene is quite different today. So I'm happy, you know, I kind of had the foresight to come here early on and really build the relationships and really help contribute to building the startup ecosystem. That's great. Priya, I hope you can share the crystal ball with more of your friends to come over here to the Philippines and start <laughs> help more of our startups over here. And before we move on to our featured startup here on Tech Connect, uh, there are other startup companies and entrepreneurs listening uh, to the podcast here right now. In case they want to reach out to Vilgrow to pitch their own businesses, how can they go about it? Yeah, absolutely. We are, of course, on all social media. You can just look us up, Wilbur Philippines, or you can personally reach me on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to respond. Just look up Priya Tachdi. There's only one. You'll be able to find me easily. So look forward to hearing. Definitely the number one thing as a startup you should do is reach out, you know, and uh, there'll always be someone out there to help you. So look well, forward to so hearing Priya. Priya. Well, thanks so much, Priya, for reaching out here to the Philippines and helping our Filipino startups move on to the next level. And having said that, our featured innovator here today, very happy to have, we're very proud to have Humble. Humble is a circular economy startup. And that's just one thing we also have to dissect over here on the program. They declutter homes and businesses by collecting things that people no longer need. Everything they collect is reused, recycled, and upcycled. And here with us to represent Humble are its co-founder, Joseph Worker, and their R&D and communication specialist, Rihanna Bengzon. Welcome to TechConnect, Joseph and Rihanna. Thanks so much, RJ. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I've watched quite a lot of your shows and interviews, and it's nice to be on the receiving end of one <laughs> for a change. Lovely it's to have cool. you over here. Is it, is it, should I say Joseph or is it Yosef? Uh, it's up to you, really, but Joseph is <laughs> <laughs> Whatever's and easy. Rihanna, thanks so much for, for joining us here as well and, and reaching out and coming here to, to TechConnect. 
Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having us. We're super excited to discuss all of the things that we're working on. And of course, to speak to Priya as well, who's one of our most esteemed uh, partners and somebody we're proud to have worked with in the past as well. And that's that's really great. I mean, this is I mean, this this sort of show sort of like the microcosm of what we want to do. And when they see that, hey, Priya's there. Hey, Humble is here. Hey, this, this we can we can connect. Like Priya was saying, sometimes it's a matter of reaching out. And for many of the starters over here, that's the first lesson. Sometimes, you know, a pitch is not just one pitch, literally. Sometimes it's a matter of coming back, iterating, speaking to people like Priya, speaking to people like Humble to figure out, does this model work? Does this, do I have to iterate this one? Do I have to pivot this one? And that's really why we're all here right now. And earlier on, we talked about TechConnect being a show that, that connects, uh, you know, connects investors, connects startups. Can I just ask, uh, Rihanna, from your perspective, uh, why is Humble here right now in TechConnect? What would you guys like to, I guess, how do you want to move further with Humble? Oh, uh, that's a great question, RJ. So actually, we're very interested and it's really part of our business to advocate for circular economy, which is something that you mentioned earlier when introducing us. And it's a, I guess it's kind of a niche field of sustainability. We are humble sustainability, but our main, I guess you could say, advocacy is circular economy. And it's something that we want to share more, especially with the Filipino audience, because we think this is a way for us to make tangible and really massive change in the environmental issues that we're trying to address. Priya mentioned climate change. Obviously, that's one of them, but we're also trying to tackle solid waste management, proper material sourcing, etc. So advocating for circular economy is really something that you know we try to do in all of the different public forums that are available to us. And then of course, we're always looking for partners. You mentioned earlier that we take items from clients and we kind of recover value from them, allow them to go back into circularity in some capacity. So we're always looking for partners on both sides, both clients who would be willing to, you know, give us their items. And at the same time, those who would be helping uh, or would be willing to help us bring those items back and try to extract whatever value we can get from them. So yeah, we're happy to share more about the way that we do that later on. I think Joseph will kind of deep dive into that. But yeah, we're just here to share more about what we do. Fantastic. I'm sure this is really piquing Priya's interest here right now <laughs> as we learn more about what Hubble is all about. But before that one, like I said, there's some people encountering us for the first time. You know, when you say circular economy, it's something that not everybody is too aware of. Yosef, maybe you can help us understand better, you know, in layman's terms, what exactly is a circular economy? How does it work? Mm. You know, for, for that, I'm going, to, I'm going to pass the ball straight back to Rihanna because uh, <laughs> I. Uh, there's You're a one big basketball I, player, I see. If, okay. <laughs> There's one thing I've learned over the years is that you should empower the people who are best at what they do to do the job. And Brianna, ah. this, is her, this is her specialty. This is why she joined Tumble because she's really uh, extremely passionate for circular economy and sustainability. It's what attracted us to each other. And she's taught us a lot along the way. So Rihanna, why don't you take, oh, great, the, great. take the lead with this one? Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Joseph. Yeah, so RJ introduced me earlier as Humble's R&D and comm specialist. So the R&D part is all of our sustainability, innovation, impact-oriented initiatives. So that's why Joseph's giving it to me. Yeah, so circular economy, I guess in the, in the simplest of terms, is a setup or an economic model wherein items or raw materials that are used for items are not simply merely extracted from nature in a linear fashion and then turned into products and then, then disposed of. It allows for the items or the products that would primarily just be used once and then disposed of usually to landfills or through incineration, things like that, to then be revisited, uh, recycled, the raw materials are extracted or reused for other methods, etc. And this allows, as we said earlier, the way we describe it is to go back into circularity. So instead of, let's say, a shirt that is purchased by one consumer being thrown into a landfill uh, after that consumer is done with it, 
that shirt is then instead brought to a, let's say, a textile recycling center. The cotton fibers or whatever materials that are used in that shirt are then sent or then spun into a recycled textile. And then that recycled textile is made into another shirt, which goes to another consumer. So that really addresses the sustainability problems that we're trying to address in both ends. So on one end, we're reducing the amount of raw materials that we need to take from nature, which obviously cannot naturally keep up with the demand of human life, especially now with you know the extreme levels of industry. And on the other end, it reduces the amount of waste that goes into landfills because instead of directly heading there right away once uh, one consumer is done with it, it instead flipped into something else that could be used again. So that's where Humble Solution comes in to a certain extent. We're trying to promote that as an option instead of merely you know this notion of buying, over-consuming, constantly needing to buy new. So we hope to introduce new alternatives to that as a process for consumption. Fantastic. Thanks so much for, for helping us uh, better understand and appreciate uh, really the, the social impact that you're trying to create with Humboldt. And if I can go back to Joseph now, this is a question directly for you, Joseph. I hope you don't mind that I ask this one. You know, I'm always very happy. You know, like you said, you've listened to some of my podcasts. I'm always very happy to see, I, I don't want to say foreigner, but an expat comes to the Philippines, sees opportunity here in the Philippines because you know, sometimes many of us who are based here become very jaded with what's happening over here. But many people who are expats coming here for the first time or, you know, Filipinos who group abroad, they're saying, wow, there's so much opportunity here to be had in the Philippines when it comes to business, especially in the startup world. May I ask, Joseph, what, what drew you here to the Philippines and why exactly do you see this industry right now as, as being one of potential? And maybe even if you expand it more, why do you see the Philippines as an area that's great for business potential? All right. Well... Do I have the credentials to answer that question properly? Probably not, but I'll give it a shot. I'll give it from my own experience. I absolutely adore the Philippines. I came here for the first time nine years ago, I think, back in 2013 for a project. Hadn't heard much about Southeast Asia. I'd, I'd done six months in, in Malaysia before that, a bit of time in, in Singapore. And I was doing this kind of weird job, which was making, it sounds really exciting. I was making documentaries about rising economies in Asia. So I was spending three months in each place before veering off to the next. It wasn't quite as exciting as it sounds, but the brilliant part of it was that I was able to, I was able to stumble upon, upon the Philippines. And within, I think, a one and a half hour, well, let's be real, three hour taxi ride along Edsler <laughs> <laughs> to my to my whatever ever I was staying. I, I I think the very first thing that caught me was the epic long conversation with the taxi driver that I had. And it was just, this guy was just immediately one of the most just loving, bright, warm souls that, I, that I'd ever come across. And I just already felt this spark of something, this energy to the city and to the people in it. And from that moment on, it just continued to grow. And, and my love here for just, just grew and grew and grew. And after about a month, I decided, okay, I'm going to resign from that job. I'm going to figure out some way to build businesses here and try and make it happen here. So honestly speaking, it was nothing about, you know, seeing that the Philippines, I'm predicting that the Philippines was going to take off. I mean, there's no way I, I could have done that. I'm not smart enough for that. It was really much more selfish. It was just the people here are stunning inside and out. And I just wanted to get to know more of it. And, and that really just gave me a thirst. So I, I bounced from job to job, stumbling upon failure, upon failure, upon failure, still am, by the way. And, uh, and that really led me to be here. So I think what's happened we fast forward now to today, what's happened in the last couple of years and pre kind of 
very nicely put it, five years ago, the startup ecosystem in particular was nothing like it was now. I remember we, every year, it's a bit like, I don't know if there's any people who have a a love for a sports team that always does badly. And they'll say, (laughs) next season, don't worry, next season we'll crash it, right? It was the same thing with the Philippine startup ecosystem. We always said, next year, (laughs) we're going to be the next Indonesia. And it never happened. And then suddenly, you know, these incredible stories happen. The Kumu, great deals, coins, all these amazing founders just started exploding. So I think, um, I think, look, where the Philippines startup ecosystem in general is an extremely inspiring place and is obviously just soaring due to many things, due to finally some strong investment opportunities already here in the Philippines, Mm -hmm. instead of having to go abroad. Also due to some trailblazers leading the way, such as some of the companies I said, institutions such as Vilgro and Ideaspace and Multisystem who are empowering startups by doing things like this and really building communities. And specifically bringing it back to our industry, our industry is a bit of a weird one. We're in liquidation, asset liquidation, which we'll talk more about later, and e-commerce. And both of those industries are growing at a real rate, particularly e-commerce. And the Philippines is just completely booming. And we see that in the numbers coming from Lazada, Shopee of this world. So, yeah, I see it going from from strength to strength. And I, I consider myself extremely lucky to be able to call this home. Fantastic. Hi, I'm RJ Ledesma. Get inside the heads of the country's sharpest and most innovative business personalities and entrepreneurs. Hack your way to success as you learn more about how they think about business. What are their best practices and success secrets? How do they innovate their businesses during the pandemic? And what opportunities do they see in the new normal? Join me on the RG Ledesma podcast. You know, the story I often ask people, and as Priya would probably put it, you know, that the question that most investors will ask you is that what problem were you trying to solve? So I want to go back to that one. Joseph, Rihanna, feel free. I mean, sometimes the business, I mean, I know how startups can iterate from your initial idea to, to where you are right now. What was that initial first pain point that you were trying to solve when you, when you, and th- th- that you were passionate about, Joseph, when you put up uh, Humble? I'll go right, right back to the beginning. And I think the, the founding stories are always really important. Should never forget them. It's key to the, the values and, and everything in the business. And every single week when we onboard new employees, I, I repeat the stories. I've practiced it many times. It somehow <laughs> evolves. But, uh, but so I, I think it started really when I met my co-founder, which is actually a very long, well, five years ago or so. Um, we were both working in, in, a, in another place together and, and we, we were complete polar opposites in every single way, except for two. We had a, the same stupid sense of humor. We just laugh at idiotic things. And we had a clear thirst for creating real impact. Now, sounds very cheesy, but it, it, was, a, it was a real feeling. And it didn't have anything tangible towards it. We didn't know what. Uh, it wasn't necessarily sustainability. Neither of us are sustainability experts whatsoever, which is why we surround ourselves with much cleverer people such as Rihanna on a day-to-day basis. But we knew we wanted to, to do something. Anyway, we then went our separate ways. We were lucky enough to lead different startups. I was fortunate enough to get a, a, an MD role at a different startup for five years. So watched that grow from really strength to strength and was able to see just lots of brilliant lessons really throughout that journey. And eventually, I think about two years ago now, uh, my co-founder had this idea, which was really this circular economy for children's clothing. 
And she had a lot of friends who were mothers at the time and their kids' clothes would immediately grow out of them and then it just go straight to the trash if they didn't have a younger brother or sister to give it to. That's right. So she said to me, why not create this solution, tech solution, where we bring this kid's piece of clothing who's just grown out of it to this kid over here who's about to grow into it. And uh, just couldn't believe that there was no service or anything that existed necessarily of a, of a similar vein. And I just thought, let's take this one step bigger. Why does it have to just be clothing? Why can't there be every single material and item? Can't we create a behavior and set of tech solutions where we bring every item back into circularity in some way? Whether it's something which is perfectly brand new and it's never been used, but it's ended up at someone's warehouse, or whether it's really just some raw material that's ended up you know, in the back of somebody's closet for whatever reason, can we find a solution to bring that back into circularity and stop this behavior that we have to buy something new. And, and that was really where the idea of Humble was born. We didn't know anything about sustainability or circular economy. We just kind of stumbled upon it. We had tons of clutter in our own home. And I'm sure pretty much everyone in this call has probably experienced that. It's a problem that a lot of us experience as well. And we thought surely there are others out there who would benefit from a service like this. So there we set on, on creating a solution for it. And each iteration has really, really changed. And what you see humble today is obviously different from back then, but that's the beginning uh, acorn that it uh, began from. So from that acorn, and if you, I mean, I hope you don't mind that you, you usually do, you know, for people watching this for the first time, you do an elevator pitch. People usually, when they talk to people like Priya, they call it elevator pitch because you've got a couple of seconds coming from the first floor, I guess, to the penthouse and you're talking to somebody. Sure. How do you usually pitch what Humble is right now to an investor like Priya, say, for example? Sure. Good question. It would depend who I'm speaking to. But I would say <laughs> we bring items back into circularity by sustainably liquidating unused assets, passing back value to the people and businesses who gave us the items. So this can be clutter in the home or office, or it could be thousands of returns or aging products in an e-commerce warehouse. We sell high-value items via Thrift, our own e-commerce platform for circular living, and the low-value items to our network of B2B recyclers and buyers, bringing everything back into circularity and creating more value than the alternatives. Fantastic. And can I ask, let me, let me give you a bit more of a challenge. What if I had to explain this to my 78-year-old dad who was watching this right now? How would I explain what Humble is to him? <laughs> who is not somebody okay. too familiar with, with e-commerce and okay. everything? I don't mind because sometimes we have to explain to some clients over here. This is, well, this is what we do, right? So. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, dear Tito, uh, <laughs> for all of the stuff that is taking up stuff and you're tripping over when you're trying to get to the kitchen needs to go somewhere. And it's wasting values, wasting money. It's taking up space. And by the way, Tito, that's actually an environmental problem as well. Why don't we give this away easily, just at the click of a button, they'll just take it away for us. And then you clean up the space, you've helped the planet, and they're going to give you something in return for the items. Wouldn't that be good, Tito? And you can chill out for dinner this evening. <laughs> love, that, love that explanation over there. Oh, Priya, you have some thoughts, actually. I just look at your face and you seem to have some thoughts about, uh, about the startup. Please share, please share with us what you're thinking. No, no, I think, yeah, I think that's a great explanation, right? I love the second one, especially because I think what is powerful about this model is that, you know, I think it's such an urgent need 
no matter which economic class you belong to, because as people, especially here in the Philippines, we we are generating a lot of waste uh, in terms of, you know, ocean plastic generation. We are number three in the world for a very small country. So that means that, you know, solutions like Humble, you know, should have already been there in our life and a big part of it. What's exciting is, I think, as, you know, Joseph was talking through it, uh, the simplicity of the model, right? Because it is, you they'll come and collect it from your doorstep and then it actually goes and it could either help somebody else in terms of a product or, you know, it gets sold to someone else who, could, who will convert it into another product. So there's no waste. The, uh, the challenge, I think, the biggest challenge that I do see is definitely exactly what Joseph was trying to do in the second pitch, which is really the changing the mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Not A very small percentage of us as customers, as people, as citizens are actively thinking about where our waste goes. It's, it's minuscule. Now, how do we really turn this into a mass movement? Because that's the only way really that we're going to save our planet. That is really the challenge. And it's going to take Humble and so many other models like it along the value chain to make it happen. So that's why I'm excited because what I'm seeing is really a movement of so many entrepreneurs who are really coming onto this stage and really taking on this massive, massive challenge. Yes, and yes. that's what's exciting. And I like that because it's communicating to people how to change their mindset. And that's why my question right now goes to Rihanna over here. And you know, there, there are two things actually that, 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 that I'm playing with in my mind after hearing Joseph talk and Priya here talk. The first one over here is, you know, we often say you can come up with a really great idea, but what makes it, I guess, unique and innovative, mm-hmm. you know, right. versus what other people are doing. You know, I often call it the secret sauce because, you know, we can all have common ideas about how to fix a circular economy. I mean, you're, 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 you've got an e-commerce platform going, you've got for higher end consumers, you've got something else for lower end consumers. But what, do you, what would you find to be sort of like the secret sauce uh, that makes Humble a bit more different versus other players in the industry? Have you looked at other business models from other countries? And second question, I hope you don't mind, you know, talking about what Priya said, was the mindset issue. And that's a mm-hmm. big, you know, as I'm looking at you, you know, I, I don't know about, you know, I, I'm, you look like somebody from the Gen Z millennial <laughs> generation. Yes. I, I belong, I, I, I might look a bit younger, but for the Gen X, it's not, a, you know, for us, we, you know, I often tell them, you know, at, at our time, you we were being told, you know, you were learning about how to, you know, help the environment, but it wasn't something that we were so passionate about. But come Gen Z, come millennial, it was something that everybody, you know, they're very, my, my, my daughter is very passionate about those type of things. How are you guys also trying to affect, I guess, a mindset change to get more people on board this, this circular economy? So let's start off with the first question. I hope you don't mind. What's the yeah. unique and innovative uh, thing that, that Humble does? And Joseph, please feel free to chime in as well. Yeah, of course. Please, yeah, start off, yeah. Okay, so those are really great questions. And actually, I don't know if you planned this, but my answer are kind of in, my answers to the both of them are kind of interrelated. So okay. that's good. It'll flow properly. Actually, just to jump off Priya's point, um, I completely agree that this the the problem of waste is really something that hits very close to home, especially for all of us Filipinos. Yeah, she mentioned the statistics about us being a massive uh, plastic contributor. We're also quite a hot spot for the effects of climate change given our position in the typhoon belt and like a hotspot for biodiversity loss and all of these things. So environmental issues, like especially for me and all of us at the team are very, very important to address. And I think something that she said that I find actually answers this question quite well. It's just what she mentioned that the, the model is very simple. It's actually very straightforward. And that is something that we actually did quite intentionally. It's very accessible. It's very 
I wouldn't say universal, but it's like pretty close to universal in the sense that whether you're an individual, like let's say you're just one person who lives in a condo or you're a corporation, as Joseph said, who has like thousands upon thousands of items that you're just going to you know, throw away in a warehouse somewhere. Waste will come into your life in some capacity. That's just a that's just a fact of living in this, you know, industrial capitalist society, right? And I think the accessibility as well as this just the plain simplicity of the service, of the the way that it works is what sets us apart. If you look at some other models, and we have done some like analysis and like looked at some similar organizations, though we would argue that there's no real like exact same competitor. Some of those companies, especially, let's say, in the recycling, materials recovery, et cetera, are quite specific. They're quite technical when it comes to the methodologies and things that they employ. And, and that makes sense because they're experts in that particular, let's say, that material. But if you were to sit down with a potential humbler, which is what we lovingly call our clients, and you explain, okay, like exactly like what Priya and what Joseph did just now, that like, oh, we'll come and get your stuff and then... You get something out of it, pa, and you're you're you can you know rest assured at night that it's going somewhere sustainable. Like that's very simple, very accessible for even someone who doesn't have any sort of background in sustainability. And that is something that we really want to maintain, both in terms of, of course, the model itself, but how we communicate it as well. Which kind of leads me into the the second question about the mindset shift and things like that. Because if you actually are curious, why humble is the name of the company? Our kind of ethos or thought process when it comes to advocating for sustainability is really that it should be something that's not intimidating. It shouldn't be something that's like, oh my God, I need to have like a PhD. I need to have a background in like science to understand it. And honestly, while that definitely does happen, there's a place obviously for experts and scientists and things like that. You're going to alienate a lot of people who don't have that as a background, obviously, because it's going to get hard to understand. People are going to get turned off. And Admittedly, there's going to be a section of people that are going to think like, okay, I'm just one person. I'm just, uh, you know, a random citizen. What can I do to address these problems? And that's the mindset we're actually directly trying to address. So by making it very simple, very straightforward, explaining things, let's say in our social media materials, in the way that we explain our advocacies, in a way that is very much for the lay person, that's really how we aim to get more people on board. We really don't believe in anything along the lines of, shaming companies or shaming individuals who mm-hmm. may be seen as bad actors in, in environmental practices or, you know, judging those who don't go to an extreme uh, lifestyle shift where like you're completely vegan, you don't use electricity, you know, things like that. We really don't advocate or promote like looking down on people who don't do those things. Because again, as I said, you're really going to alienate others who perhaps that's not a realistic solution for them. Let's just be honest. Um, There are certain you know, lifestyle considerations, their class considerations also. So that's that that all really ties together. And humble, as we see here, is like we feel the perfect word to describe all of that. Yeah. So everything that we do is tied with that in mind. We always, always consider our customers and our partners in in everything that we do. We never want to give them a hard time. Because aside actually from the the environmental components of it, we also consider the mental health and the psychological implications of being surrounded by clutter. Not just, of course, on an individual scale, but even in terms of your environment. So we try to make it as stress-free, hassle-free of a, of a process as possible. And that's something that we really feel sets us apart. And something that we think will actually, I don't know if convert is the right word, but get more people on board to advocating for this cause as well. Got it. Uh, Joseph, you want to add to that? 
I mean, very articulate and can't beat it. It was, is exactly that. I guess if I could summarize then in a nutshell, how humble is really different from the other options that are out there, right? Because as Rihanna said, there's no direct competitor that we know of. We've been searching for two years. We haven't found one that's doing the exact same thing. But of course, there are similar ones. You've got the asset liquidators in terms of auction houses, et cetera. And then Thrift itself as a platform, which is our own e-com platform that we've soft launched. We've got our own full platform being released in about four or five weeks. That is up against, of course, the e-com giants, Shopee, Lazada, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I guess more from a, a business standpoint, the key difference to the liquidation is that we actually extract more value from the items that we collect because of our channels, right? We have this thrift platform where we we, we have uh, very good quality items that can be priced at very good prices, essentially, and we're able to recover more value for our clients because of that. So that's that's one. The second is the service and technology. Again, you know, everything that we do is empowered by technology. We're building our own platform. We'll talk a bit more about the other tech plans later if we like, if, we, if we've got time. But really, service is very modern and forward-focused, right? It's a typical startup kind of mindset towards our service. The third is sustainability. Rihanna shared a lot about that earlier. We're the only circular living platform that we know of in terms of really coining that and trying to drive home that term and education and, and creating a community where people can really talk and engage and learn about circular living. Um, and we bring everything back into circularity because we work with recyclers and upcyclers, right? And then I think finally, the fourth point is is fully consolidated. So a lot of the options at the moment, you can either just deal with higher value returns, like I can sell something expensive on carousel, et cetera, or I've just got low value waste that I can use a waste collection. Our solution, what we wanted to build is something that it's fully consolidated, that we so can like take. A one, like a one-stop shop for, for everything exactly. that you want to dispose of and, cir- and recirculate. Exactly, exactly that. So that's really, I think, summarizing how I think we're a little bit different from what we've researched so far. Really great. And as you're talking about that one, I just want to share with people who are listening to us in the podcast right now. If you want to visit Humble, that's www.humblesustainability.com. Again, that's humblesustainability.com. And like you said, you know, in, in the in this world of the startup, there are no real competitors. So they're also in Shopee at the same time right now. Uh, they're in yeah. shopee.ph uh, slash thrift by humble. Again, that's shopee.ph thrift by humble. And I want to go back right now to Priya over here. Priya, I mean, basically, you, you understood it a bit more, no? I also want this, you know, this is a teaching moment as well, not just for the for Humble, but I guess for people listening. When you're looking at, at startups like Humble, like those that have great social impact, maybe you can break it out a bit more. What, what you were looking for uh, when, you, when you see them and, and you know that they've got some potential for, for possible investment. So when you look at Humble, what, what are you thinking right now? Yeah, absolutely. Ajay, I think there are a couple of things. I think first, you know, we ourselves currently have actually two plastic focus programs that are open and we are incubating about six enterprises, some that are focused on single use plastic and some, you know, waste, which I think will be more aligned to what uh, Humble is doing. And there are a few things. Number one, we are very realistic that this is a very challenging space. The problem is huge, which means there is a great market opportunity. It's highly underserved which means, you know, it's really, there's enough space for as many players to come in. So that's the great news, I think. And as, you know, Joseph and I were talking about it, I think it's very clear. I think what's challenging to crack and what we haven't seen model scale up yet 
addressing this problem. And there are a few different challenges. You know, it's the, the value chain is quite complex. Customer behavior change. There is huge amount of change that still needs to happen, and it's a it's a mountain to climb. So you know what most startups end up doing, like Humble, is that you start working with a small community and you try to keep growing that. Right? You kind of attract what you call the low hanging fruit people who are already in the Gen Gen Z. People who are already bought into it. People who are already passionate about you know trying to help solve the plastic issue, trying to contribute to climate change. Now, what we are Hopefully, the next phase, and hence, you know, today I think in the Philippines we are seeing lots of different types of models. I think what's interesting about Humble, as you said, is like end to end. It's kind of a one-stop solution. But there are lots of others who are trying to solve pieces of it, right? There are those who are focused specifically on thrift. I think especially in the circular fashion space, lots of people are getting into this. Very interesting models that are, you know, that we are seeing and watching very closely. We're working directly with quite a few who are looking at the waste collection end-to-end, but, you know, for different types of economic classes, very much for low low income, you know, then the condo and then also the high income. We're also looking at a lot of upcycling brands, right? So there's a huge, so I think there are, uh, I think what's unique about Humble is that you're trying to bring all of this to one platform. Uh, which is exciting, but also challenging, I would think. So uh, when we are, you know, looking at models, when we are looking at entrepreneurs, I think the number one thing that really comes across and is easy to assess is really the commitment of entrepreneurs, because this is going to get really hard. So we really need to find and see that the team behind it is, you know, as Rian and Joseph demonstrated here, really passionate and driven by this because it's not going to be solved in one or two years. You're not going to kind of see the type of growth that you want to, you know, the hockey stick kind of, you know, crazy growth in like just a very short span of time. This is a big problem. And there are so many pieces that need to come. And the more complex your model is in terms of the back end and the more pieces of the value chain you're trying to connect, the more challenging it becomes to make it viable. So when uh, we are looking at entrepreneurs specifically working around the waste and plastic issue, we are, number one, trying to see what is the viability of the model, who is kind of the segment that they are trying to get, right? So are they going to be paying customers for this? People may be, you know, willing to donate their plastic, but, you know, are people actually going to buy the upcycle products. What is the cost of doing this, which is still quite high, uh, especially if you're going door-to-door collection, you have to then have your own warehouse. You need to then kind of sell this again on e-commerce. And I think what what I heard uh, from the Humble team is also that, you know, they're leveraging the existing channels, right? Like, why not? Those are also ways to bring down some of your own costs. So really the viability of models, which, you know, which is the tricky part, right? If you're just building a for-profit business, and you just want to chase, uh, you know, just the profits. It's much, you know, I'm not saying it's easy, but, you know, uh, it's less complex. Here, you know, with Humble and so many other impact entrepreneurs, you're trying to really, uh, you're making it harder for yourself by actually taking all the right roads, right? You really want to do the right thing. You want to stick to the principles that you have, make sure that, you know, the value that you're delivering and the values that you have as a business are not compromised. And that means, you know, sometimes it's a bit more expensive to do it. Sometimes it's trickier to get the model right. And it takes a little bit longer for you to find the model that can grow. So those are the type of things that, uh, you know, we are looking at. You evaluate on two things, the business itself, like you would any tech startup, but then also the impact that the team is saying that, you know, that they're promising and that whether can it really be measured? You know, can it really be validated? Is it just something that you're quoting and saying? So I would say it's sometimes even harder 
for impact-driven enterprises, right? Because you have to succeed and be profitable and give all the returns to your investors, but then you also need to prove that, you know, you are creating really measurable change uh, and you are actually, in this case, addressing the plastic issue or the waste issue. A lot to observe right now. I'm sure Joseph and Rihanna are also... I know it's like you're balancing, you're 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 juggling three chainsaws at the same time when you're when you're doing social enterprise at the same time making sure it's profitable and something that people want want to invest in. What comes to mind right now? I wanted to ask Joseph as well. What exactly is is the business model for you guys that is helping grow right now, humble? If you don't mind me, if you don't mind sharing, so we understand it a bit better. Of course. Okay. So I think at the, the, the beginning, uh, and as, as Pierre mentioned as well, we, we focused a lot more on relying on homes for our inventory, right? So the business model at the start was someone books a collection through a very simple tech play, very, very basic. We then go and physically turn up at their doorstep and uh, collect their items, bring them to our warehouse. We sort them, and then we bring them back into circularity with our recyclers, upcyclers, or buyers. Right? That was the model at the start. And it was okay, but it wasn't showing us that this is going to scale you know, to the kind of levels that we needed to. It's heavy. Cost was there. There's so much to, to play with. And it's just the logistics was, was, was extremely tough. So we shifted, um, didn't entirely pivot because we still do home collections, but in a different way. So people now drop off their items to us, which can be done through tech integrations of uh, third-party logistics. But the main driver of our model now is collecting items from businesses, high-quality items, such as returns, aging or damaged products that have gone to e-commerce and logistics companies that they have ended up with and need to liquidate themselves. This is a huge problem. It's a trillion dollar problem to e-com in 2021. And it's a massive circular economy problem as well. They just incinerate this stuff half the time because their main objective is just get out of the warehouse as quickly as possible. Of course, that's the industry as a whole. I'm not saying that anybody in the Philippines does that. But in, in general, that's kind of one of the key problems to, to that industry is that a lot of those items do end up in the landfill. So what we now do is we will take those items, high quality items, and everything which is sellable back to a B2C customer, we will then sell through Thrift, which is our own e-com platform. And we pass back some of that value to the business that we collected the items from. So essentially, then the e-com business is able to get the items out of their warehouse. They make a lot more money back from the items that they would have done, and they're helping the planet at the same time. And for us, we have a zero cost model at that point because we have no inventory risk. We don't need to go and physically collect the items. We work with partners and integrations in order to do the fulfillment. We don't have the logistics on our side. We just have one simple sorting facility, which we can really learn and understand what to do with the different items that we collect. And then everything which is not quite good enough to go to thrift, we still have that strong network of recyclers and buyers who can take them off our hands so that everything really is brought back into, into circularity. So that drives the model today. And that really is the much more scalable side. So the home collections for us is not, uh, we don't do it for the, for the revenue. We do it because post-consumer waste is a massive problem and we're still passionate to tackle it. And 
we've got a service now where people can drop off to us and in the future we'll still have a collection service but it'll be purely through technology so we won't do the logistics ourselves we'll just connect the dots and then everybody who declutters with Humble will then issue points actually we still do this today and then they can then use those points back in the platform and buy secondhand items or whatever it might be from thrift or you know take part in challenges in the community etc cetera, etc cetera. So that's really that's really the model today. And then the future is all of that in a tech platform where businesses and people are able to list and sell directly to other businesses and people and a whole other bunch of features, which I won't bore you with. But that's really the, the scalable aspect that we've learned and seen. And it's been an interesting journey from really purely focusing on homes to where we are now. It's a little bit different, but um, we're thankful that we went along and uh, experienced those interesting moments. And just to break things down a bit more, the profit generated or the income generated for Humble basically is sort of like a, a little, is it, I would call it, my, in my word, in my businessman terminology, that'd be the sort of like a commission in between uh, what you get or the price difference that you get from the, from the warehouse owner to selling it in the thrift uh, e-commerce store. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a revenue share, actually. So we revenue share. Have a, okay, revenue have a share. split between us and, let's say, the e-com or the logistics company, where we both split the revenue and everything that's sold. We put together a sales report, send them the money that came through to us, and we keep the rest for ourselves. And, and, and you, keep your, you, keep your, you keep your uh, OPEX, you keep your operating expenses low because, because basically there's no warehouse where you have to deposit things. So that, that's, that's what you do. And what you have to just build is really the, the scale of the e-commerce site or for people coming, uh, coming more and more to you. Correct. So the high cost for Humble will come in technology build and technology build and technology build. And then, of course, uh, selling, selling the items themselves. So marketing and managing the digital thrift shop. But, uh, but yes, in terms of logistics costs, we're able to keep that low because of this model. Got it. And like, like you said, you see now the roadmap to sustainability for Humble. With that, where do you see it in about uh, two to three years time, uh, Rihanna, Joseph? Where do you see uh, Humble? Uh, yeah, for us, as Joseph said, we're really trying to anchor everything on our tech solutions. So right now, we just have our booking MVPs and things like that. Uh, we use Shopee as our B2C selling platform. But we're hoping to unify everything in one big platform sometime very, very soon. Just so that, as RJ and Priya mentioned earlier, everything's kind of a one-stop shop. It's very simple to navigate. And then we're also looking to explore other things that we can do when it comes to sustainability initiatives. So Joseph mentioned earlier the sustainability challenges that we want to introduce to our humblers. Uh, we also want to introduce a carbon footprint dashboard someday in the future where clients can see like, okay, if I purchase this upcycled mm -hmm. shirt, I have offset X number of uh, carbon emissions, things like that. On the, the business end, we're also looking to explore someday a C2C selling platform. So that's another very sustainable way to get things is to purchase them from uh, directly from um, the person who they already came from. So akin to secondhand selling that we see online, uh, we want to offer that also so that there's a sense of agency ownership when it comes to these kinds of purchases. So that's also something that we're looking into down the road. Thanks so think, much, uh, Rihanna. Um, Joseph, how about you? Where do you see you're taking it? Uh, Rihanna summarized it beautifully. Um, I mean, other than that, uh, expanding throughout Southeast Asia, of course. Uh, so starting latter part of, of next year, uh, I would say. The tech solutions, I mean, the carbon footprint dashboard is extremely exciting. I think, look, Priya says something very important earlier. is that every social impact startup, social enterprise, whatever it might be, 
claiming to be impact driven must find a way to measure that impact. Um, it has to be tangible and really clearly quantifiable. And that's something that we take very seriously. So we'll already kick off with an MVP of some form of this already now, even if we don't release it to the public and start learning, because this is really, it's very complex stuff, at least to, to me it is, it's all over my head, but um, but doing our best to get a, get a grasp of it. But look, serious note, what we want ultimately is that the overall network that we like touch, whether it's buyers from thrift, people or businesses that give us their items, partners who have worked with us in some way or other, every single person has their own individual footprint. And that's key because if we understand our actions and the data and what that actually does to the planet, then I'm a lot more likely to do something about it. And I think this education piece, I think it's extremely important that it starts with that. We keep banging on about, you know, stop using single plastic because it's bad. Like if we actually give real data and show people in front of their faces, it's so much, I think, more powerful. And that's what we're, we're really trying to build. And ultimately, in the next few years, that's what I'd love for, for Humble to really be. I'd be proud to say that I was interviewing Humble five years from now. I'd be very happy to say, yeah, I interviewed Humble five years ago. And look where they are right now. And having said that, as we close things out, uh, Priya, I mean, you've gotten basically the breadth and depth of, of what Humble is and what their secret sauce is and where they plan to take it. Any advice for Humble uh, moving forward and for other similar social impact entrepreneurs as they go on their journey? Yeah, it's been actually great to listen to the updates and where the model is at because, you know, I've, I've spoken to Joseph and the team, like, you know, along the journey at different points. And I think, see, I think the biggest learning, I think what Joseph shared is that this, this whole iteration that they've already been through, right? They started with, they started with a completely like a different idea about baby clothes. And, you know, they've kind of evolved and iterated versions of even what they are today. I think that's key. And that is sometimes the, the trick between failing and actually succeeding. Uh, it's, you know, taking the little failures and learning from them and actually building a model that can act, that is actually viable. And that is, uh, you know, we can say it in simple words, but that's so hard because you don't have the money, you don't have the team, or maybe you don't even have the tech yet to make, you know, make that ideal business model work. But I think that's key. And what we see is that, and what I'm excited for Humble is that, you know, while you, you, know, you need to be able to validate this in, you know, smaller versions, in lean versions and see what actually works, you may have, especially when we are solving things like waste, right? Like plastic waste, like waste in our lives, addressing climate change. It's the problem is so huge and it can be intimidating. But I think uh, once you feel like you have the core of a model and, you know, you do know that you have a solution that could address at least a part of this problem, I think it's about iterating and figuring out what's really viable. But it's always better to start smaller rather than building like, you know, at the first go itself, the grandest version of what you could, because I think that's the only way you can actually build a solid foundation. And uh, and hopefully you'll find the resources, both the people and the money that, you know, believe in you to do that. What I'm excited to see about Humble is really, you know, I'm very excited to kind of see the pivot. I think it's very interesting and coming off the last two years and how insanely the e-commerce uh, you know, industry has grown and how much more all of us are consuming because it's so easy to order and buy and also cancel orders. <laughs> so we can imagine, you know, how much waste it is also generating. So very interesting to see that this kind of a B2B approach, bringing, building in a very strong revenue model 
that then will allow them to build the different pieces that they want to go, whether it's going, you know, D to C or C to C. I think that's a very smart way of the model evolving. And my advice to all entrepreneurs is kind of listening and building models that, you know, you might want to build something super big, but, you know, look at the resources that you have, the people that you have, start with, you know, that the version that you can actually prove, validate, and then start, you know, then when the scale moment comes, you know, you can really, really scale up. But building that clear, validated business model that can give you the indication of what can I really scale and create the impact that I want to, I think that part is so hard and painful to get to. But once you get there, you know, the results are going to be incredible. So that's what I would say. Really focus on that viability of the business model and getting your revenue model, at least the initial ones right. That'll give you the basis to really kind of grow your models. Well, thanks so much, uh, Priya. That was a great insight. That's like Startup 101 right there. And at the same <laughs> time, thanks so much to Humboldt for really giving us an idea. You know, the biggest thing that I, 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 I've taken out of this one is really seeing the passion behind the entrepreneurs putting this up. Sometimes that's that's really what you need. And I know I can completely empathize with Joseph over here because I'm the same. I, I've had a couple of startups myself where I knew what I wanted to do, but other things went over my head. And that's where you hire smarter people like Rihanna to come on board and help you build the organization. But then as long as the vision is there and the and the willingness to to learn, to fail, to pivot, I mean, that's what the startup world is all about. But the bigger thing is your why. Your why, why do you want to do this one? And I can see that the why is very strong in both of you. Again, thank you so much, uh, Priya. Thank you so much, Joseph. Thank you much, sir, Rihanna, for joining us here on the show. This has been Tech Connect. If you are, are a startup who wants to be part of Tech Connect, please let us know. Just drop us a line. We would love to have you here on the show. Again, my name is RJ Ledesma. We will see you in our next podcast. Thanks, guys. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.